Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. One of the things we always talk about when we go out into the field is how we should do like a paranormal investigation, like training program, like fitness program, because we always end up going up these hills. <laughs> That's Jeremy Puma of the organization Liminal Earth. In the spring and summer, this place is full of a plant called Enchanter's Nightshade, which is like the roots were traditionally used to like give a boost to your magic potions. Um, and this place is just, like, just carpeted with it. Is it possible that this, uh, this whole area is some sort of, uh, alchemist's, <laughs> you know, rack of ingredients? Could be, yeah. He's taking me through dense brush to a very enchanted place. You know, the fairy village itself, like, I really hope it's, it's still there and in the same state it was before because it's really, it's really huge. It's like... How, I don't know who's doing this. It's got to be actual fairies. It's at the base of a tree. And there's this constructed, this well-constructed doorway made with string and sticks. And then it looks like there's a feather, some fern leaves, some rocks and nuts, and a little bead just at the base of this tree. Maybe it's like little kids coming here and doing this, but this is way beyond that to me. Almost like they were being, like, led by the fairies to do it. I'm Jim Perry. This is Euphemet, a show about the unknown and our relationship to it. This time, stories about people living with magic, lives shaped by the enchanted. Next on Euphemet. Many believe the power of magic is that you can change reality around you. It's empowering for some and can change the course of a life. I'm with Jeremy, trudging through a slippery trail in a wet West Seattle, in search of a grove known to some as a forest just for Fay. During our ascent, 
Jeremy skillfully describes the flora around us and each mushroom and flower's medicinal qualities, as well as some mystical ones, as if the forest abounds with magic. Many would say that it does. But an excursion like this, this is normal for Jeremy. Um, but one time Nicholas and I were walking through the, Nicholas is my son, and we were walking through the woods here with our dog. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, and he's kind of, we, you know, he was on a, a leash and he's a puppy, so he's kind of a little reactive. And um, these two big black dogs just charged out of nowhere around the corner at us. And our dog, Emmett, freaked out. Um, he was on a leash and they weren't. And Nicholas was... Like, he got knocked over and, um, you know, skinned his knee, and it was just a really bad scene. And then this this older woman came around the corner, and she was obviously their owner. And she, like, she didn't do anything. She didn't stop. She didn't, she's not like, oh, my gosh, I'm so sorry. Nothing like that. And I said, you know, it would probably be a good idea for you to keep your dogs on leashes. And she said, probably would be, and just kept walking. <laughs> Even though, like, my son is, like, crying on the ground and, like, I'm obviously extremely upset with her. Anyhow, we thought that was going to be it, but then we went to the ferry village, and we were doing it because we wanted to leave one of Nicholas's toy cars as an offering to the ferry so that we could find parking better, like the parking ferry. Um, so we wanted to, like, leave a little toy car there and say, like, you know, thanks for helping us find parking all the time, keep it up. And so we did that, finally, and we turned around and kept walking back, and then all of a sudden we saw the two dogs again and her like walking in the other direction. And I was like, oh no, let's, let's take a little side trail here. So we went on a side trail and came around a bend where they should have been, where we should have seen them. And they were completely gone. Like it was really, they, they, they had just vanished. They were not where they should have been. Um, and it was right near this place where you have to cross a stream. And so I'm just wondering, like, the, the, the connections there between reality and liminality, you know, was she some sort of malevolent entity manifesting, trying to keep us from leaving an offering to the, the fairies of the village? So we, uh, Nicholas calls, calls her the, the witch of the park. This is the bridge right here with the stream underneath it. And it was like she disappeared before she could cross the bridge. Like, can't cross running water. <laughs> On this edition of Euphemet, stories of moments that are made of magic and how it changes our lives and the people who show us the way to it. Jeremy's devoted his life to just that, co-creating Liminal Earth a roadmap of experiences for others to follow. It's a website right now, um, and it is a crowdsourced map of amazing experiences. So they skew towards the paranormal. Um, so we have ghosts and UFOs and cryptids and Bigfoot and all of that wonderful stuff. Um, and that, But then we also have... Um, strange animals. So like a uh, dog wearing shoes or uh, somebody saw once a crow walking across a crosswalk, like with the light. <laughs> like we want people to have a place where they can understand that, um, you know, the, what we call the paranormal is actually pretty normal. 
Um, a lot of people have these experiences, but they don't feel comfortable sharing it for whatever reason. Um, they might think that they're going to be laughed at or called crazy or lose their reputation. And this is a way for them to have an outlet and to share their experience and have it validated um, by everybody who visits our site. Just as important, I think, is this concept we have of remythologizing the landscape. So, particularly in sort of the the Western materialist culture that we have, we've lost touch with myth. And I think myth for us is like um, a myth is like a story that gives your life meaning somehow. What we were interested in isn't whether a story is true or not, because we already know that the story is either true or not true. What's important to us is how the story impacts the person who had the experience. Like that, that's what's interesting to us. Many believe magic is an impactful personal tool and has been used for millennia by people who wish to improve their lives and write their own story, a better story about what is not only possible in this reality, but what can be possible for their lives and careers. Libby shares a story about such an event. All the time, like every day, I have this incredible, profound sense of gratitude um, that I figured out a way to pull myself out of darker times and put myself here where, where I am. Not just not just the island, which in itself, I mean, I love living here because it's such a beautiful place. It's such a welcoming place. It feels so good to be here. But um, where I am in terms of uh, what I've achieved in my life, I mean, I, I really came up from hard times. You know, I, I grew up in extreme poverty. I didn't get a chance to go to college because I just couldn't afford it. And I couldn't countenance taking on debt to do it. And I just, I've had kind of a weird haphazard path to get here, but um, I'm so grateful every day that that I got here through whatever means was necessary. And, you know, it turns out the necessary means was throwing open my arms and embracing how bizarro reality is and saying, yeah, I'm just going to pretend like I can shift the universe uh, in accordance with my will and just see what happens if I, if I just... If I just make believe that's a real thing I can do, you know, <laughs> what's what's going to be the result? The result has been amazing. <laughs> uh, after I sort of came out to most of my friends who've known me for most of my life and said, listen, I'm practicing witchcraft and ritual magic now, and it's like a big part of my life, and I hope you guys aren't weirded out by that. They all just kind of rolled their eyes and were like, uh, yeah, we've, <laughs> we've known this about you longer than you have, apparently. <laughs> so... <laughs> I uh, am a big fan of Last Podcast on the Left, which I'm sure a lot of your other listeners are too. And they did like a two-part series on chaos magic. And, you know, I was like, that's probably not real, but it's interesting. <laughs> like, it's fascinating, whatever. It's fun to think about. And then I, I remember I was out in my garden just kind of working on stuff. And I had just finished listening to the second episode on chaos magic. And I was like... Yeah, I mean, it's probably not real, but, but you know, what is reality anyway? I mean, pff, what's real, what's not real? Pff, who even knows? Nothing's real and everything's real at the same time, right? <laughs> so I was like, so I just thought, yeah, let's, let's just, just for the, just for the heck of it, I'm just gonna, just gonna throw caution to the wind just for today only. And I'm gonna pretend like this is real and like it will really work.
what I really felt I did well as a writer and what I really wanted from my life was to make a living writing literary fiction. And it's extraordinarily difficult to make any money at all writing literary fiction, let alone like enough to support yourself on. Um, so I designed this ritual to, to uh, shoot out into the universe that I want to make a, a good living writing literary fiction. I want to be able to leave behind the commercial fiction I'm doing and only write literary fiction and nothing else. So I designed this ritual. I did the whole thing. You know, I mean, very little information on chaos magic, which maybe is not the best way to go about it. Looking now that I know a little bit more about ritual magic, probably don't just want to throw yourself into chaos magic unprepared. <laughs> you know, you want to at least have a little bit of a grasp on what you're doing. Um, but I, I designed this ritual. I, I did the ritual. I made my sigil. I fired it and uh, I burnt it to ash and I forgot about it. And I went back to, that was, you know, that was my one day of, of pretending like I'm a magician. And then I just, you know, went back to my life, went back to my writing, yada, yada. Two weeks later, my editor at the, um, my main publishing house called me and he said, hey, listen, we were thinking about it. We were talking about it. And we really feel like what you do best is more literary work. And I said, holy shit. <laughs> And he said, what we want to do is launch a new pen name for you that only focuses on this upmarket literary work. And I said, yes, absolutely. Yes. No hesitation. He's like, are you sure? I mean, it's, you know, it's a new pen name. We're going to have to kind of rejigger the way we do all of your books um, from here forward. And it's going to be like a totally different experience. I was like, absolutely. I am 100% in. We are doing this. And, and he said, great. I, I'm so glad that you want to do that because he's like, you know, it's your, your commercial fiction selling pretty well and we don't know how this new literary pen name is going to be. And I said, it's going to be fine. Do it. I said, I, I guarantee you it's going to be great. It's going to be a great move for me and for you. Let's do it. And I said, just out of curiosity, why? What, what made you guys um, make this decision right now? And he said, I don't really know. It just came up in a meeting. We were having an all-staff meeting and we just started talking about you and where your career is going and Somebody just brought up, oh, she really does literary stuff really well. We should probably focus on that with her. And I said, great, let's do it. After we hung up the phone, of course, I was excited because my career was finally moving in exactly the direction I wanted it to go in. But I just sat there for like 15 minutes staring at the wall going, holy shit, I'm a magician. I have had moments where I've thought, yeah, I should just, you know, hard economic times with this pandemic and everything, I should hedge my bets and I should do um, a couple of like commercial books and just like self-publish them under my old pen name just to have like a safety net to fall back on. And I cannot, I cannot write commercial fiction anymore. I start working on it and I just hit these horrible stall outs that just stop me in my tracks and again and again I'm forced to go back to my projects that are literary in nature and keep working on the stuff that I made a deal with the universe that I would do. You know the more I was sort of forced to accept by the weirdness of my surroundings that that um, reality is different from the way I'd always been told it was uh, the more comfortable I got with just just adopting 
ritual into my life and just just making it a normal part of my existence. I mean, to be honest with you, um, I don't think I would have the career I have now uh, if I hadn't embraced this. I I think very literally, very honestly, I think I have the lifestyle I have now, the career I have now because of ritual magic. And I know that's weird for other people to hear. And I'm just being honest, man. It's, I I made my career happen. My career is very improbable for a person like me. And I made this happen with focus and ritual and by kind of accepting that although there are aspects of reality that are fixed and that are unchangeable, there are also aspects of reality that are not fixed and that are not unchangeable. And that if you know the way to talk to the universe and to listen to the universe talking back to you, you can shift it a little bit in in directions you want it to go. Um, And I've done that and it has been astounding the the difference in my life before and after embracing uh the practice of ritual magic has just uh it's night and day doesn't even begin to go there i mean i'm in a totally different reality literally now and um i think a lot of people don't believe me when i say that or they think i'm being hyperbolic or something but i'm i'm really and truly not i mean i i i make the majority of the things that happen in my career happen through ritual Next, more magic-making lives and the people who lead them after this. soaking wet clothes, Jeremy and I find some shelter, and I learn more about just where his magical perspective came from. I was always, you know, I was a smart, bookish child. I was a weird kid, um, as many of us were. In fact, I think I think most people were weird kids when they think back on it. You know, you ask even people who were like the popular kids, were you, oh, I was a weird kid, yeah. <laughs> um, but my, my, uh, my family, my upbringing was... Um, it was wonderful. Like I had a great childhood, um, but it was very, you know, my parents were both sort of skeptical. My dad's very sort of a, you know, he's an atheist and um, a materialist, not in the sense that he likes to accumulate stuff, but he believes that, you know, science is what will eventually explain everything. So he wasn't really that keen on me getting into this stuff, not because it was forbidden, but just because you know, I, I was seven. So, <laughs> um, but he had a friend who was one of, who was our babysitter who actually ran a summer camp. Um, and her name was Willie Lee Watkins. And she was the, the, as I, as I have grown older and gotten more into this thing, I realized she was like a genuine Florida swamp witch. She was an amazing personality. She was just sort of this bubbly, exuberant woman. Um, she loved children. Um, she was married to uh, an appliance repairman, and they had this like Quonset hut back in the swamp in Florida, um, where they would like 
repair old appliances and clocks and toaster ovens. And then they would also um, have the summer camp. And she was very, 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 very involved in the paranormal and into like the strangeness side of things. Um, and so she would sort of surreptitiously like loan me these books, you know, a lot of it was like, you know, reader's digest, strange tales and stuff, but that was enough for me at the time to sort of spark the, the curiosity. And she would tell the best stories about like cursing her neighbor who was giving her a hard time. Um, she was albino and she was extremely psychic and she always read for free. And she believed that her albinism, which um, also contributed to her blindness, which she was, she was very, very, um, uh, she was, wasn't able to see very well, um, is what sort of boosted her psychic prowess. Um, so she would also, also like, tell us these stories about, um, you know, growing up in, in Florida before it was a tourist trap. And um, the, she would tell us about the ghost in the cemetery that was down the street. Um, she would talk about, like, sitting out on her back porch at night and just Bigfoot would walk by and she'd be like, oh, yeah, we saw Bigfoot last night. Like, no big deal. And I just, I stayed friends with her. I stayed friends with her for a very long time, all the way um, until she passed a few years ago. The most classic story, the Willie story that that I can remember, is I was in college, um, and I would still visit her every now and again. And some of my friends would often come along with me, because she was just such a character. And she was like, oh yeah, bring your, your buddy Ken along. Like, we'll, we'll chat. And we would just sit in her room, um, in her house, and we'd chat. Her sitting room was also the home of her doll collection. She wanted to open a doll museum. That was like one of her wishes in life. And so she had dolls and they were like classically creepy (laughs) a lot of the times because she'd be telling these like spooky stories and stories about ghosts that she had seen. Um, And then she'd be surrounded by, you know, these, these dolls with their glass eyes just sort of staring at you. So one day, me and my friend Ken were over visiting Willie, and we were chatting with her. And her mom had recently passed, like the week before or something. Um, so we were also coming to give our condolences. Um, and she was sitting, we were just chatting, and she had this antique fan on the floor because they repaired appliances. So they had, like, all of the appliances in their house were, like, old and rebuilt. And this was sort of looked like a, a canister. Um, and it was just sitting there whirring on the floor. And she was talking about her mom and she was saying, yeah, you know, uh, mom, after my mom passed, um, she's been visiting me since then. And, you know, she'll come occasionally and she'll say hello, um, often when I'm talking about her. And then she said, in fact, I think she's here right now. And as soon as she said that, the fan started accelerating in speed. So it was like, getting faster and faster. My friend Ken and I looked at each other and there was like a palpable sense of sort of heaviness of a presence in the room. And then out of nowhere, one of the dolls on the wall went, Mama. And so... We were like, what? You know, because she, and she must have seen the look on our face. She was like, okay, hi, mom. I'm talking right now and I'll, I'll catch up with you later, but thanks for visiting. As soon as she said that, the fan started slowing down again. Now this is, this is really, you know, it's already weird. 
she was she had a very funny sense of humor and she knew that like part of her personality was kind of like people think I'm freaky I'm gonna freak them <laughs> so she says you guys think you want you guys want to see something check this out and I am not lying she took the doll down off the shelf popped open the back and there were no batteries in it <laughs> so of course Ken and I were like okay and then she was like yep so um, anyhow I went to the grocery store the other day and you know it's just like this is just what happens to Willie and so um, you know I was friends with I, I remained friends with her even after I moved out of Florida um, particularly you know through Facebook we would talk a lot and then she passed recently um, but my wife has been getting Facebook messages from her so it's like a couple times now where my wife and she never met my wife which is sad to me, but a couple of times from uh, my my wife will log in and there'll be a Facebook message from Willie that says, hello. It's just been hello. And so I'm sure she's still around laughing somewhere. <laughs> but she's the one who definitely sort of got me down, set me out to, on this path. So, yeah. yeah. What do you think she would think of the map? I think she would love it. I think she would probably have a difficult time um, accessing it <laughs> just because the, you know, it's on the computer and, you know, it would have been tricky for her, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure. And in, in fact, I wouldn't, I wouldn't even say she would, I'm sure she does. Like she's, her spirit is in there, at least as far as I'm concerned, um, because she sort of set me on that trail. So. Thank you for listening to this edition of Yuva Met. This feature was produced and scored by John McEdward. Thank you to Jeremy and Libby for their stories. They're both Yuva Met listeners, and you can have your story featured too. Reach out at jim at euphemet.com. You can also visit Liminal Earth to make a report and learn more about how you can become a member of their community. Thank you to our sponsors, AMC Network's Shudder, BetterHelp, and The Buildout. For everything you've met, including how you can subscribe to the show, links to our Patreon and social media, visit euphemet.com. And for even more, check out Night Drift, our weekly radio broadcast discussing euphemet and hosting panels on topics at the intersection of society and strange. Sundays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. This has been Euphemet, and I'm Jim Perry. Until next time, keep looking up.